is the Lightning Junkies Podcast with your host, Chaz Kryptoson. On this week's episode, we have Will O'Burn, best known for the Jewel Lightning Wallet. Jewel is a great browser extension that allows you to utilize your own Lightning node. As I mentioned in the episode, I probably use Jewel more than almost any other wallet that I have. I very rarely use my mobile wallets and only use them when I'm out and about or I'm at a place that actually accepts Bitcoin or Bitcoin over Lightning. It seems like most of the good use cases for Lightning are still on the web and aren't really on mobile quite yet, or at least aren't in a place where they're actually easier to use than the web. Just wanted to give a quick shout out to Fold here. They're not sponsoring the podcast or anything like that. I just wanted to give them a quick shout out and to let you know that if you want to quickly uh, purchase Amazon gift cards or Uber gift cards, etc., and be able to save money on top of it, you can definitely do that with Fold. They're also on mobile and such. Once again, this is not a sponsorship, and Fold has not contacted me in any way about talking about them on the podcast. Did you know it costs $100 a month for me to run this podcast? If you'd like to chip in any Bitcoin or Bitcoin over Lightning to help me pay for these podcast costs, you can do so by going to crowdfund.lightningjunkies.net and chip in as much as you think the show deserves. You can chip in one sat, or you can chip in a million. It's up to you. My goal is to provide content that is worthy of that one million sat chip in. So hopefully we'll get there this episode. Let's go ahead and jump in now. I would like to go ahead and welcome Will to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing this evening? Hey, Chaz. Uh, super stoked to be here. Really love what you're doing with the show and uh, just happy to be a guest. I'm really glad to f- finally have you on here. You were definitely one of the first people ever wanted to have you on here. I, I kind of look up to you in a kind of a dev sort of way, like you're doing all these different things and you're very uh, useful to the entire ecosystem. Well, I appreciate it and I'm totally flattered. I don't know if I can live up to that hype, but uh, I'll do my best. Well, absolutely. Here, let's go ahead and jump in. I know that you have a bit of a unique starting point than a lot of my uh, previous guests have been. If I'm correct, previous to you making Jewel the uh, Chrome extension, you actually uh, came from Ethereum. Is that right? Yeah. So I was working on, uh, I started working on it when it was my Ether wallet, but then that kind of turned into my crypto. But it was basically the main use or the main way people would uh like buy ICOs and and get in on those because it was a wallet that that had no opinions really it was just like it it would handle any ERC20 token i had gotten into ethereum sometime in like late 2016 early 2017 and was just looking around for open source projects to contribute to and that was kind of the peak one that intersected with my skills so after contributing for a bit they uh brought me on to work on it okay and was was your entrance into Ethereum the the main entrance into crypto overall? Yeah, for sure. So my brother, James O'Byrne, who you maybe have heard his name, he's a core developer, Chaincode Labs. He had been talking about Bitcoin for a long time. I think we still have some email that we occasionally forward to each other to laugh about where he like links to some some Bitcoin mailing list posts like from like 2012 or 2013. He's like, guys, I think this thing's pretty serious. Uh, he was definitely the the original of, of my family to kind of bring it up. And uh, I kind of played it off for a while, like didn't pay too much attention to it because I wasn't really deep into, you know, a lot of the topics that I think that a lot of Bitcoiners care about. I was pretty politically inactive. I didn't really pay much attention to economics. I was just kind of in it for like the fun stuff. And so Ethereum grabbed me pretty early on because there was lots of shiny stuff. And like, you know, it was kind of easy to understand as uh, uh, as an application developer. And so, you know, it kind of has this really attractive upfront quality that, that you know, uh, grabs people who you know, at surface level have, have only just kind of looked into this stuff. Would you say, you know, just to be clear, would you say that you're more of a Bitcoin person now or are you still an Ethereum person? Oh, 100% Bitcoin for sure. I think that 
you know, I'm, I'm very understanding of people, I think on the boat, on both sides, because I, I see the qualities, you know, that people are looking for in this, the thing, the main difference for me is for one, like Bitcoin delivers on pretty much everything that people are looking for it now. Of course, people like to point out the like peer to peer digital cash thing that it doesn't really get used for that. But, but I don't think anyone's trying to sell it as that at this point. So Bitcoin pretty much delivers on all of its promises. Whereas my sort of moment where I started to phase over was as as a developer working on Ethereum, I was running my own node since that's, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. And after a while, I just couldn't keep up with it. It was expanding beyond the abilities of the hardware I was running it on. Uh, I was having a lot of trouble like just keeping Geth from freezing up. You know, I tried parity, but then there are bugs between those two implementations, like differences that, you know, you run into corner cases there. You know, I just kind of was like scared. <laughs> I was scared. I was, you know, entrusting a lot of my money into the system that I was slowly but surely losing faith in. And so when it came time for me to you know, try out Bitcoin, spin up Bitcoin D, it it just worked and it, you know, synced in a reasonable amount of time. And once I sort of understood time preference and, you know, manually setting transaction fees, I realized, oh, like, I don't really care that much about block time when I'm moving my digital gold, you know, it's not really a payments platform necessarily. And, and that was also where I started to look into Lightning because I thought, well, you know, we're going to need a payments platform. What's it going to be? And uh, and Lightning was still in its early days, but but it was there. Okay, would you say that maybe the the people that are you know in Ethereum that are still kind of plugging away at it, people that you might have worked with previously, do you think that they're totally off base? Do you think that entire project is doomed to fail? Uh, I don't think they are for a lot of reasons. One is that unless you're working on a certain set of problems, like <sighs> Ethereum offers a lot of interesting problems to work on and you can probably get paid to do that. I think there's a lot of funding in the Ethereum ecosystem. And so I think for some people, they're interested in the research, the the politics or the, the monetary theory behind it is secondary. They just want to work on interesting problems. And Ethereum has plenty of interesting problems, which can be fun if you're a researcher. It could be really bad if you're you know a user or a developer. I, I also think that there are certain sets of problems that Bitcoin isn't interested in solving, you know, like the idea of smart contracts, at least in the short term. Uh, and Ethereum does kind of work for that today. I mean, if you want to build like a, a distributed, you know, gambling system that doesn't rely on proven randomness, you know, if you want like real time proof that, that you've got a random system, you know, it can do that. And And I don't think anybody's trying to build that for Bitcoin. So you know, I think people have reasonable reasons that they choose to work on Ethereum, but I also think that they tend to not have thought a lot about it from a, a holistic standpoint. You know, I think people who are interested in the tech are interested in the tech. People who are interested in building fun games are only interested in that. It's it's only kind of in Bitcoin where you see people who have these like totally multifaceted interests in the economics, in the politics you know, have the technical background to understand it, understand the game theory implications of, of how these systems work, you know, understand networking. Like you have to understand a lot of things for Bitcoin to make sense, uh, which is a lot to ask for, for your average person. That's interesting kind of understanding why you would move over to Bitcoin here. So are you saying you're kind of more sold on the overall Bitcoin ethos versus the, you know, maybe put it in, into square quotes for the Ethereum ethos? Yeah, I mean, it's a little hard. I feel that Ethereum doesn't have a consistent narrative, so it's a little hard to say what that ethos is. And I think there are certain aspects of, of Bitcoin that I still like am at odds with. I don't you know, sometimes I always feel like I'm 100% aligned with the like air quotes community. You know, I, I think really what it comes down to is the Unix philosophy of design, which is to do one thing and to do it really well. And Bitcoin tends to do its, its one thing really well. And uh, that's just a lot easier to reason about as, as a developer and as someone who's you know, got some of their money tied up in it. When you first started developing on Bitcoin, was it developing on Lightning or was it developing on base chain of Bitcoin? So I had a few kind of brief interactions with Bitcoin 
from a development standpoint before um, I really dove into it. And, and it very strongly uh, turned me off from it, uh, just in terms of like getting your head around the UTXO model when, when you know, you're kind of used to the way databases work, where you kind of have these, these like easy ways to look up balances and keep track of things where now you've got like all these distributed coins and you have to like combine them together. That was pretty daunting up front. And so I, I kind of, I, I had a brief, some brief interactions with it and was initially turned away. It, it wasn't until lightning kind of lured me in where I was like, okay, you've got this one node, you know, it's got a, an available balance it can draw from like the reason channels exist is because they're, they're not fungible, unlike Bitcoins, which should be fungible. And so that's why I was confused about the UTXO model, which of course I, I, I understand all of that a lot better now, but you know, from the outset, lightning looks a lot more like what a developer might expect from a payment system. So I kind of came in from the top down, started learning about Lightning. After a while of learning about it, you want to know the underlying layer. And that is where Bitcoin started to come together and make sense to me. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say I started with Lightning and then kind of worked my way down from there. Okay. And what was your first project working on Lightning? So it was Jewel. I had the very good fortune and definitely not nepotism of being able to join the um, chain code. They're known for their summer residency where they spend, I think it's like 12 weeks to get people to work on Bitcoin. They did a sort of a short thematically appropriate Lightning residency where they did one week and they just had some awesome people in, um, Alex Bosworth, Christian Decker, you know, just a, a bunch of the the Lightning all-stars came in for a week and, and we learned about it and we built something on it. And so Jewel was my project there. I was kind of coming again from the Ethereum background. I was used to this extension MetaMask, which plugs an Ethereum wallet into your browser. And I thought, okay, this is something that would be really cool with Lightning because, you know, what's the point of micropayments if you have to like open up a terminal and paste in a, you know, a payment request to make payments like it should happen kind of seamlessly. And so I built that there and people got a little bit more excited about it than, than I had expected. So you know, I, I kind of kept working with that. And then a month later, I released it, you know, properly in the extension store and people started using it. I definitely have to say it's one of the more underrated Chrome extensions out there. I know it's not a wallet per se, but it's probably the one that I use like 99% of the time. You know, there's there, there might be times where I pop out my phone and I use a mobile lightning wallet, but most of the time I'm using my main node with a jewel. So. Oh, awesome, man. I, I love hearing that. You know, I, I, I take a little bit of credit, but also use this as a, uh, as a caveat of, of being one of the first other than zap lightning wallets and, and zap at the time was doing the same thing that Jewel's still doing, which is, uh, it just communicates with an existing node over RPC. Now with zap, you can create your own node. I, I don't know that I'll ever get there with jewel. Just because for one, it's it's a little bit of a power user tool right now. I think it requires a, a decent bit of of just know-how of how to set up a note. And also I'm kind of personally horrified at the idea of writing software that fully controls a node. But yeah, the, the, the caveat that comes with that was I didn't have all these awesome wallets to kind of use as inspiration. And I think since having made it, you know, I feel totally outclassed when I'm using something like like Breeze or Eclair. Uh, I just think their mobile wallets really nail a lot of of the kind of look and feel that you want out of a Lightning wallet. And and meanwhile, Jewel is starting to look more and more like like a enterprise software or like a Microsoft Excel or something to me. But you know, it, it was uh, it was an early foray into it, and and I'm happy to kind of have been superseded by by these full teams that are, you know, now building businesses on top of, of Lightning. I mean, I'm just wondering, you know, who else is going to take up the mantle of, of Jewel? You know, I know you were kind of telling me before we started recording that you haven't been able to work on it as much lately. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, as I'm sure a lot of open source developers have have encountered like at a certain point you can keep working on this stuff until until the money runs out uh i was sort of getting there and and i love working on jewel and i continue to support it but i've, I've since kind of had to go back to to putting it on the back burner as a side project but i i i like the way you phrase take up the mantle because i really do think that 
Lightning on the web has sort of taken a backseat to mobile apps. And I'm really glad that people have made these these really sleek and you know functional mobile apps. But I, I really, um, I'm just kind of sad to see Lightning move away from, from the web, which is where I think it makes the most sense. Because uh, with mobile apps, for one, you're always going to be in the walled garden of Apple and Google. You know, you're going to be at the mercy of what APIs they add to mobile apps and, you know, being in, in the mobile store. And they have such a strong incentive to to not have Lightning or Bitcoin succeed because they can't take their 30% cut of sales when you're paying with Bitcoin. Whereas the web is this completely open platform where, you know, uh, as long as you can communicate it over HTTP, you can do whatever you want. And so I really do hope that we see kind of a stronger like web-driven lightning experience emerge. And hopefully the mobile apps can can kind of foster that a little bit instead of fragmenting it. Because I just kind of feel like we've got a, a bunch of good mobile payments as it is. I mean, honestly, if you want peer-to-peer anonymous local payments like nothing beats cash so i i just don't look at you know the mobile use case as being the most interesting one to me okay do you have any favorite uh, lightning app yourself at the moment oh man well i really like the episode you did with crypto a couple of days ago i feel like that guy's that guy's a huge inspiration for me just like sort of pushing the use case of of like little fun apps and and i i really appreciate that he has this laissez-faire attitude about like not needing everything to be perfect just to get it out there. So big shout outs to Crypto. I'm really excited to see the gaming space move forward with things like Light Knight and um, the ZBD guys working on their games. But as as for my day-to-day uses, I would say, you know, I mostly use Lightning as a tipping platform right now. So uh, Bottle Pay and Tip and Me, that's kind of been really the only use case to stick beyond going to a website and, and and just trying something out once and then, you know, not really coming back. So I think I think it's still a really underexplored area. Let's kind of jump back into Jewel a, a little bit here. So how long did you work on that, you know, when you were actually working on it? Uh, so I probably gave Jewel an honest year of my life with some other projects sprinkled in there because I, I kind of always knew that Jewel, I'm just one guy, you know, and I, and I didn't want to like try to turn it into a business or take VC funding or whatever and hire people to work on it. So I always knew that it it has a sort of intrinsic shelf life beyond what the open source community wants to to do with it. So I really invested a lot of my time and effort into trying to foster a development community around Lightning. And so I've pushed more on things like WebLN, which is this sort of open standard that Julie uses, but a few other uh, wallets like Blue Wallet have implemented to allow web apps to to like request and make payments. I tried to push forward some like use cases that I hope other people adopt, like allowances and auto payments. Um, and also tried to get the Lightning app developer community going with some some open source demos and some tutorials and stuff like that. So, you know, rather than build stuff myself because I know I'm I, I'm eventually going to run out of steam or get hit by a bus or whatever, I've I've really been more trying to focus on getting more people like me who maybe built Ethereum applications to say, oh, what's this lightning thing? Let me check it out. Oh, cool. It has a strong um, developer community. Uh, let me like give that a shot. Okay. Was there anything that was kind of difficult while working on Jewel developing it? Honestly, working working with lightning is like a dream. At least, you know, at, at the time, I would say LND was clear in a way the strongest API amongst the, the lightning nodes. I know there's been a lot of effort from other node implementations to kind of catch up on that front. So so I would say the, the actual API level is is really just awesome to work with, especially compared to like working with Bitcoin D. But one one thing that really stands out to me, and and I've seen a bunch of products struggle with this as well, is just like the way that software has been going is is very anti-cypherpunk, like host your own hardware type stuff. Um, for instance, you'll you'll probably remember that like five years ago, you didn't see that many websites use HTTPS and now every website uses HTTPS. And that's great. 
because you want to have these encrypted connections with websites so that people can't snoop on your traffic. The problem is that the, the way that HTTPS has kind of developed is we've actually centralized the web a lot by having these certificate authorities. You have these organizations that mint these uh, uh, SSL certificates. And the way most browsers and a lot of software works is that they check with these certificate authorities. So if I want to have a secure encrypted connection with my Lightning node, I have to use a self-signed certificate because one of the certificate authorities won't mint one for me. And a lot of software just assumes that that's malicious behavior, when in reality, you know, it's just me trying to, to run my own stuff. So I'd say a lot of the difficulties that I've run into with Lightning development is just that all of the software that we work on is is really centered around the idea of having one of the big guys kind of give you the okay, whether it's writing a, a mobile app and having to deal with store rules or writing a, a web app and having to deal with uh, DNS or certificate authorities. A lot of the stuff that we're building on top of just isn't really meant for for the little guy who who kind of wants to have his own hackerish setup, which is really unfortunate. Um, and I de- I've definitely seen like Casa, for instance, having their um, node that runs in your home, you know, that has a self-signed uh, certificate as well. And and they've just chosen in their case to not host it over HTTPS. So you have an insecure, unencrypted connection to your Casa node, which I totally understand the choice they made. But, you know, it, it sucks that we have to forego encryption um because of its sort of centralized nature in the browser. Well, I guess, is there anything really that can be done to address that on a large scale at all? On a large scale, it's hard to say. I mean, one thing is that, you know, our browsers, at least Google Chrome and, you know, Safari, uh, which have a huge browser share, are, you know, run by Google and Apple, who certainly don't mind centralizing factors being, you know, it kind of helps their business model. So supporting alternative browsers, I think, helps push that a little bit. And then, but but from that standpoint, you you know you still have to get these things kind of everyone to agree on them. So I think that Mozilla is probably the the most open to this sort of this use case of like I want to run my own hardware. And so you know maybe filing issues on the Mozilla bug tracker. But ultimately, uh, it's. It's really hard as an individual to, to to make an effort in this, aside from being vocal. I just wanted to maybe kind of touch on a few of the other Lightning apps that, that you develop. I think you have maybe two other ones. Is that right? It's it's hard to know what you consider an app. Uh, I definitely have a few toys out there. <laughs> sure. Well, let's talk about the toys then. So TipHub is the one that first comes to mind, which was right after the craze of, of Tip and Me really blowing up when Jack gave a shout out to that project. I kind of had this mindset of like, okay, Tippin's cool, but it's custodial. And I don't have anything inherently against custodial applications. I mean, you know, I use Venmo to settle up with my friends. I still use PayPal on occasion. And and those are inherently centralized services. And I, I don't, I'm not like shaking in my boots that they're going to steal my money any day. And so, you know, I think any project that's attached to a real person with a real name who lives in a first world country, like I'm not worried about them just running off and stealing my money. But I thought that, you know, at least from a censorship resistance and sort of a being self-sufficient standpoint, there should be an open source alternative. So I built this self, it's not self-hosted, it is still hosted on a website, but it's a way to hook up your lightning node to receive tips, even when you're not there to generate invoices. And uh, you can embed a tip button into your GitHub projects. So GitHub projects have these readme files that will render like images and links and stuff. So it adds a little button there so people can support your open source projects. And so that was a really fun one to build because I, you know, one, one great thing about writing software that you would use is you get to use it. And so I've thrown those buttons on the bottom of my projects and I get tips, you know, not like a ton, but I get beer money like every few days, maybe every few weeks. Um, and it's just super gratifying to like connect with people on that level and to not have to Jimmy Wales style, like add a giant blocking header on your Wikipedia page. It says like, please give me money, but just have a, a little tip jar and for people to, to drop money in there and to know that that was a peer to peer interaction. I, I didn't have to trust a third party service to, to hold on to the money. Got it. And was there one more uh, thing that you developed as well? Um, I'm trying to think. Well, I could have sworn there was. what that would be. 
I don't I don't at all want to take credit for this, like even in the least, but I do want to find any opportunity to shout out that uh, one of the contributors to Jewel, uh, his name is Jamal James, um, had uh, I had this idea of like uh, a way to spin up simulated environments for developers to work on Lightning, and he he took this idea and totally ran with it and made this um, this really cool developer tool called Polar, uh, which I have been shouting from the rooftops. So I don't know if you mistook that as something I had involvement in. I, I helped like a very little bit, but but it's all on him. Um, but if you're a developer interested in Lightning, you should totally check out Polar. Uh, it's it's like the coolest tool, I think. There's another thing that I actually wanted to mention here at this point. It's not an app or anything per se. You did make a, a series of Medium articles tutorial for developing a Lightning web app at that. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I've been really, you know, if I'm being honest, I've been frustrated with the Lightning community because I haven't seen, on the Node front, there's a ton of great open source development. But on the application front, whether it's because people are too embarrassed because they don't think their source code's good enough or because people are trying to, you know, keep their secret sauce secret. I don't know what, but there hasn't been a ton of open source application development. So that was something I really wanted to change because most developers I know really learn by like looking at working projects, reading the code, understanding how they work, tweaking it, and then building their own thing. So that was what I wanted to do. So in addition to open sourcing my projects like TipHub and oh, you know the 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 other one you were probably thinking of was um, the Run LND shirt sale. There you go. Yeah, yeah, where you had to prove that you were running an LND node by signing uh, a message, and then you could buy this this T-shirt. So open sourcing projects like TipHub, like Run LND, and then making this this article series because the the thing that makes Lightning better is is getting more people in it. Like it's a network, and in order to have bigger, stronger network, you need more people, uh, both users and developers. And so, you know, that, that that's just been a huge priority for me. Got it. Okay. Well, I mean, I've looked at the series multiple times because, you know, I've, I've been wanting to become, you know, actually learn how to do more of these things, but I don't, you know, I have some experience in Python, but not much experience in JavaScript. And I believe you have TypeScript on th- this particular project. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, TypeScript, I think is it's really important to use a language that you can have a lot of faith in it doing the right thing when you're dealing with people's money. So I, I usually advise people to use TypeScript. I, I like Python. You know, I, I, I want to recommend it, but given its runtime error nature where you don't know the code is going to have problems until it actually reaches that point in code, I usually advise people to stick with a typed language for for their Lightning projects because... There are all sorts of unexpected failures that can happen, and you you don't want people losing money as a result of that. Okay, let's say I'm a an advanced newbie. I'm not sure that that'll help, but <laughs> how difficult do you think it would be for someone that's dedicated for them to pick up these series of articles and pump out an app here? I mean, I, I would like be overly complimentary myself and say it's super easy because I did a great job. But but I mean, the reality of it is, I broke it out into pieces because I knew it would be a, a big load for people to take on at once. But I think that, you know, as long as you're not completely horrified by the terminal, it's actually really kind of friendly to get started because for one, the the TypeScript compiler, it's going to like gently let you know where your errors are, as opposed to a lot of development where you get an error and a line number and you hope it's going to point you in the right direction. And likewise, the Node developers have done a really great job at just writing, you know, really robust software that, that, works all the time, uh, at least in my experience and most people I know's experience. So you're not going to run into the kind of issues where it's like, oh no, I forgot to set this like compiler flag and uh, you know I'm running into weird states. Like most, uh, at least LND, which I use for the tutorial, is super easy to spin up, even more so if you use that app Polar that uh, I was just pimping out. Um, and so I think once you get the project just running, just displaying the very basic, I think the first post just has it display your nodes info, like it's plain text. Once you get there, it's just slow iterations, which I think anybody's uh, easily capable of just following instructions. And then once you actually get it running, it's pretty easy to see where you can tweak it. You can either tweak, you know, just the styles if you want to make it your own, or you can tweak some of the functionality by changing like simple constant values. And I think like the more that you 
feel comfortable changing it, you start to understand more and more of the pieces. And and before you know it, I feel like you can transform it into just a completely different application than the little the little toy I have you build. So do you think someone doing these articles are going to pick anything up if they manage to make their way through it? Yeah, I think I think you'll get a deeper understanding of the way lightning transactions work, even though they feel instant, they're actually asynchronous. Um, and you need to wait for them to to go through. You'll probably get a decent understanding of how a modern web application works, where you've got some code running in the browser on your user's computer, and then some code running in the cloud on a server on you know some some computer that's publicly accessible. And then you'll also uh, one thing that I think is a good fringe benefit here is you'll understand better how to secure your node, but to not have to like lock it away. One one like pet peeve I've had for a while is is the the Bitcoin developers have said like never expose your Bitcoin node to the public internet because you know you you don't know what like bad things people are going to be doing. And while that's a good philosophy in general, uh, it can be really frustrating in the use case where you want to have your node accessible like and and to be able to use it on the go and so you don't have to. Uh, trust a block explorer or something like that. Whereas the the lightning approach for for all of the node implementations that I know of, they they have a high level of confidence in the security of their nodes and what you should be able to expose and what you should lock down. And so I think it'll it'll get you to be a better node operator by running through these. You'll understand how to communicate with your node, how to secure it, and how to how to program your money to, you know, interact with it in a safe way. Okay. Kind of briefly said that, you know, if you have, you know, are comfortable with command line that you should be able to jump onto this thing, you know, would you say that there is any other things that people should be already aware of, already have experience in before they jump on this or? I, you know, I used to say at least have a lightning node. Again, not, not to keep shilling, but with Polar, you really don't need that. I would say just have um, a tenacious attitude. You know, uh, coding is is pretty hard. I know there's there's kind of a running joke on the internet of like just telling people in industries that are really suffering right now, like, oh, just learn how to code. Developers get paid so much money. But you know, it's it's a difficult task to really wrap your head around some of that. So I would say come in with the attitude that like. You're going to have to spend some time learning if, if coding isn't already second nature to you. Okay. And would you encourage any listeners out there thinking about it to go ahead and to try to give this thing a shot or something? I, I think that if, you know, you want to, if you're, if you're motivated to learn more about Lightning, even if you don't want to publish your own app, I, I think it's great. But maybe after either getting a little comfortable with the tutorial or if you want to really dive in uh, in, in a way that you're really helping people out, I would say look for existing open source projects out there also and see where maybe you can contribute. Um, I think this is great for for getting your bearings, but you know I think I think really building a community and not having people all work on their own projects separately, but have people come together and and work on stuff together um, really makes makes better developers and it makes stronger projects. And it makes people not feel so alone, you know, just like sitting in their room working on these projects by themselves, but you're actually a part of this this huge movement. So would you say it's accurate that you've been actively trying to get more developers into Lightning? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that's the one edge that I think Ethereum has had and, and still continues to have. And, you know, a lot of people would would dismiss that and say, oh, well, they're just, you know, they're building crap or whatever. And, and I think that's that's too simplistic. Uh, I think that when you capture developers, it's it's there's sort of a time lag with with the kind of value it has is people aren't building um, amazing things right when they show interest, but slowly you get mind share amongst the people who keep this thing running. And as much as I love the usual cast of characters that we have here, in the Bitcoin community and the Lightning community, you, you have to sustain growth for the long haul, especially if, as a lot of these, you know, a lot of the people who are holding Bitcoin are, are talking about like seven generations of wealth. Like, we need to make sure that we keep people interested and and you know keep building up the next round of developers. And that's why I love organizations like Chaincode, you know, Square for for having their Square Crypto team trying to get more people in the space, either existing developers from from outside of Bitcoin or to, to grow new developers who have shown like a uh, little interest in Bitcoin to, to turn them into full-fledged developers. So what's the actual uh, pitch here? You know, there's this 
Ethereum fan, how do you get them into into Lightning? Hmm. Yeah, I, that's that's pretty tough. I would say as much as I love a good meme, it's really hard to meme people in because memes by definition have have to spread to the masses. And I really think you have to you have to connect with somebody on what they're there for. You know, what interested them in Ethereum? If they're interested in the tech, like I think Lightning is such an obvious win when you know you start looking at the different node implementations and their APIs and and some of the cool programmable things like HODL invoices and and um, you know being able to uh, uh, what is it Rusty Russell's I think it's Rusty's but I, I could be totally wrong but the um, the chat app built on top of the Lightning Network you know just things like that I, I think Lightning has a ton of technical marvels to it um, you know if they're interested in the the transactions per second or the privacy or you know kind of those more metrics driven type of things um getting them to understand that the lightning network is totally boundless uh i think is huge and getting them to understand that you don't need a blockchain for certain transactions you can have a high degree of certainty even being off chain and i i think that you know some people are just turned off of bitcoin because they had a bad impression of it from a long time ago for some reason or another. And so, you know, just approaching people with with kindness and interest and, and you know, trying to bring them into the flock rather than drive them out, I think is always a good approach. And, and you know, maybe you don't gain a, a, a true Bitcoiner right that minute, but you at least don't make an enemy. Okay. Would you say that it's, it's almost more likely that you would get someone to jump into Lightning if they weren't already exposed to you know, a different cryptocurrency in, in some other previous time? I think Lightning actually plays well with people who have um, some understanding of of cryptocurrency, but maybe are a little disillusioned with their projects. I mean, one thing is that, that you know, even Ethereum core developers will tell you that like layer two is the way out of a lot of the problems. And, and, and so many people, they've either heard of Lightning or they've heard of other layer two solutions. Um, like Zcash has the confusingly named Bolt. You've got things like Plasma and Raiden on, on Ethereum. They've heard of these and, and they just assume like, okay, it's coming, it's coming, it's some ways off. And so if you can really, truly show someone who's already familiar with those, hey, Bitcoin has this cool thing called Lightning and it works today. Like it 100% works. It doesn't just kind of work. You know, it's actually there. People are transacting real money on it. I think that that can be... Um, really powerful for them to see that that this stuff is feasible that it's here and and all they need to do is you know download an app set up a wallet maybe run a, a, a node and, and they can do it too do you see you know lightning kind of transforming you know the lay of the land with bitcoin and maybe in crypto generally and you know in in more ways than we have now yeah it's an interesting question i i think um lightning suffers the same problem that Bitcoin did, which is that it's it sort of its identity isn't fully formed yet as to what it's good for, what people actually intrinsically want to use it for. I know that you, you had Shinobi on and he hates micropayments. And, and um, you know, we've heard a lot of different use cases for Lightning, but none of them have strongly emerged yet as um, the killer app. I think that uh, it's hard to see Bitcoin being anything other than the store of value for the for the short term. So I don't really see people buying coffee. You know, the the, the classic buying coffee example. Like nobody wants to do that. I don't know about you, but I don't want to sell my Bitcoin for anything. So I I don't see that kind of payment working out. I mean, I think what's really awesome and why I like to encourage developers into the space is if you can make a completely unique experience that you can only participate in by by spending lightning bitcoin you no longer have to really argue about like okay well is lightning good for this or that because if people want what you have they're they're willing to to do it even if they're you know they haven't totally convinced themselves that they they want to and so you know i think like satoshi's place is kind of a good example of that people were totally engulfed in the idea of having their pixel on that board and they really wanted it uh, and so I think that really onboarded a bunch of people because unless you did it with Lightning, there was no way around it. And I think I think that's why I really like the game use case is if you have a, a Lightning-driven game, 
and the only way to play that game is through lightning payments, people are people are going to want to do it. So you can sort of drive scarcity by creating assets that you're only willing to exchange for lightning. Do you think it's likely that any bigger games are ever going to adopt lightning as their in-game method of you know, getting people onboarded and you know, monetize, et cetera? I mean, I won't say no, because I think that there will always be fringe groups that need an uncensorable payment method so that you could be, uh, that could be gambling, that could be like sex games. Um, so, you know, I could see one of those communities adopting something that has the 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 privacy and uh, uncensorability benefits of Lightning, but I think ultimately um, we're going to have to see a lot of the like user experience form before we see anything like that. I, I won't pretend to know exactly how um, some of these games are implemented, but right now there isn't really a strong universal way to hook up my wallet over here to make payments over there. Um, other than, you know, by, by sending money to them and just having an an internal ledger there. And at that point, you're not really leveraging the benefits of, of lightning. You're just using, you know, rows in a database, like it might as well be Fortnite V bucks or or whatever. So I think that, you know, that's one reason why I really like the web. And I really was trying to push the standard of, of doing the payments in the browser is, because the the unique benefit of lightning payments is that you're in control of the money and games typically have not had that direct level of interaction. So I think unless we can shape a user experience where people are used to programming their own personal node or, you know, their own wallet and like giving limited access for applications to make payments and stuff like that, we're going to continue to see this sort of custodial focus with it, which I think from uh, a larger game developer's standpoint, like there's no benefit to using Lightning at that point. If they're already fully in control, they might as well control the whole space. I mean, I have a hard time seeing a, a game company like adopting Bitcoin and adopting Lightning. I don't really see the overall advantage to them in that maybe I'm being short-sighted. No, I, I, I think that's a very reasonable approach. I mean, any company is going to do what's most profitable. And I think unless we see some like absolutely insane shifts in the way the world thinks of currency, like Bitcoin's always going to be kind of this, you know, uh, unnecessary add-on for most payment systems, games included. Okay. Do you see there being any uh, interesting use cases in the future that maybe right now aren't practical or anything like that? So I think, again, I want to say it was rusty, but I, I'm going to be so embarrassed if, if I'm misattributing. But um, the example of the, the encrypted, uncensorable chat app over Lightning, uh, I think really opened kind of this, this door of the fact that, uh, you know, we're all... We're all running these always-on machines that are all talking to each other, and there's payments built into that. Um, what what can we leverage with that? Given that I've already set up this node, I don't really mind if I am getting more inbound and outbound traffic from it if it's making me money. So I could see there being things like you know VPNs where you uh, maybe directly open a channel and your nodes talk back and forth. Chat apps, you know, as as noted before, um, maybe like file sharing networks where you have a hub node that's kind of like your your torrent tracker, um, and and you know you're communicating over that. Uh, I I guess the, the core, sort of the crux of it is I don't think anyone wants to be bouncing over hops in the network to do this. So I would be interested to see direct channels where I open a channel to your node, um, that sort of being more leveraged and abused as just a general like, hey, I have a TCP connection to you. Let's send some stuff back and forth and I'm able to pay you very easily for doing that. Is the Lightning Network what actually scales Bitcoin? Uh, Sorry to put you on the spot there. No, that's a, that's a good question. I, I, I really think if scaling was our only problem, that you would see people like just using the Coinbase app and sending money back and forth to each other 
using that because you know you can do it with no transaction fees because it's just a database update for them. I mean, obviously you, you risk the censorship and and all that, but for ninety nine percent of people, their use case that doesn't even pop into their mind uh, when it just comes to sending money. So I think if that were the biggest problem, we would have a really popular custodial app, but we we don't, at least to my knowledge. You know, maybe in certain communities and pockets, people are using some kind of custodial app. But uh, no, I, I, I don't think that Lightning solves scaling, but more so because I don't know that scaling yet is, is like the most imminent failure case for Bitcoin. You know, I think, I think it's good when blocks are full. That shows that, you know, the market is valuing Bitcoin appropriately, that we have as many miners you know, doing as much work uh, as, as the network needs and we have as many people using it as, as the network can handle. Okay, so how about an alternative to scaling? What about does Lightning improve privacy? Oh, ab- absolutely. I feel like, I mean, people do talk about it, so I don't want to say it's it's totally unmentioned, but I feel like when people talk about the benefits of Lightning, they talk about speed, they talk about, you know, the block size problem, scaling, and I just feel like it's really understated how valuable the Lightning Network is for privacy, especially given I think a lot of people don't understand that you can have these private nodes that have private channels where it's not broadcast to the wider network and that channel opens and channel closes on chain are indistinguishable. You can use some heuristics to try to guess which things are channel opens and channel closes, but it's not it's not surefire. So if you really wanted to be... Uh, completely private on the Bitcoin network, all it would take is to open direct private channels to the things that you want to use or to just open direct private channels to routing nodes and and do hops to where you want to send money. And you could even set up two nodes, send to yourself and basically have uh, a private coin join. Okay. Would you say that privacy on Bitcoin is one of your personal interests? Hmm. It's a good question. I see the value in it. I don't know if I find it to be like the sexiest problem because I think I have this unfortunate benefit of living in, you know, being an upstanding citizen who lives in a country that's generally somewhat free. And so I'm not faced day to day with with privacy problems, with censorship problems. You know, I, I don't really, I don't find myself in, in a fringe group where I'm concerned about uh, that, that kind of stuff. So I, I, I think that as a developer, it's really important to work on something that you're, you're personally passionate about, that you gain a lot of benefit from because you're going you're gonna to build the best damn thing if you're going to use it. And I think in a lot of cases, I've, I've, been a bad, I've been bad to my own privacy. I'm sure that you could dox me eight ways to Sunday. If, if you were an invested party. So, uh, you know, I, it's something I have a lot of respect for, but not something that I personally put first and foremost on my mind when I'm building something. Okay. So what would you say is your current interest? You know, let's say you were able to jump back into Bitcoin and lightning land, you know, what would be your specific little thing that you'd go back to? I mean, the person that I love building most for is somebody who kind of falls through the gaps and and otherwise has a hard time working with the kinds of systems we have. Like, I remember the story. Do you remember that phone app, Flappy Bird? Yes, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I you know, I got to give a lot of credit. It was made by some guy in Southeast Asia who it was like, you know, just a really small, simple side project for him, threw it up on the app store and it became an overnight sensation. And so for starters, like 30% of everything that that guy made went to Apple, which you know, when you're living in a much poorer country, like 30% could go a very long way. And then because, you know, he was such a, a public individual as a result of that, he started receiving a lot of threats and, and, and just, you know, had a really bad time of it. And so like, I, I think of that guy when I'm building stuff is like, I really want to empower these people who like Bitcoin totally works for them. You know, Bitcoin like would be the a great use case for them. Whether you're like a sex worker who gets deplatformed by every, uh, you know, financial institute, even though what you're doing is totally legal, or you know, if you're trying to uh, raise money for something, but you know, you, you rub people the wrong way. Like, I just want to make sure that 
while maybe you don't have the best user experience, like there's always a pretty good option for you. So I've, I've really liked the kind of surge of interest in, in these sort of Patreon type clones for Lightning. I don't think any of them have quite nailed it yet. So I think that's an area still for improvement. You know, I think, I think content platforms, whether it's like a streaming site or something, still seems to me to be a really interesting use case for Lightning. But I think all of these... Like we're still really early days. And so I don't feel this like mad rush to start working on these things because I know that Lightning still has some ways to go from a protocol standpoint. It still has a ton of way to go from an adoption standpoint. You know, I just, I I really hope that it's all still there waiting for me once I feel it's matured to a point where I can take it back on as a, as a full-time endeavor. So do you think that Bitcoin and Lightning Network, are they helping real people? Are they in the shape where they could help real people with their privacy, you know, and maybe more of countries that aren't as friendly as the United States? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I, I have a ton of respect for, for Lee Kuhn, who writes for Coindesk. I know... Uh, you know, she doesn't always get along with the community very well, but that's because I think that she kind of holds us to our word in a lot of ways. And she's done a lot of reporting on like the the efficacy of Bitcoin in, in you know, these sorts of either war-torn or totalitarian government-run uh, places and, and, you know, whether or not it works. And so I think we really had to eat some humble pie when we look at like the, the recent uh, Iran government internet shutdown where Bitcoin could be the coolest thing on the planet. But you know, if, if the backbone of the internet that, that we all rely on suddenly gets pulled out from under us, like it, it does nothing for us. You know, I think the places where Bitcoin is helping right now, they're, they're few and far between where it could not have potentially been solved by something else but you know i'm i'm okay with that in that we're getting better and we're we're you know we're plugging the holes and this is a multi-decade journey that we're on to build the best damn payment system that we can and you know i really appreciate the people working on things like gotenna and and you know these other like distributed internet systems and and peer-to-peer networks mesh networks, stuff like that, you know, people who are really setting us up to be able to test the limits of, of how hard could it be to shut this thing down. But I would say to, to directly answer your question, I really think Bitcoin is not doing, is not doing as much as we want it to. Is there any way for us to change that? You know, I, th- I think one thing that really helps is, is to try to be a little less complacent in your life. And I'm like the main offender on this, but uh, you know, just every time you, you, you go to type in Google or, or you know, you, you go to use one of these services that that totally opens you up to the possibility of of being censored or, or being taken down, like go look for an alternative or, or try to shake up something in your life that you take for granted. Um, you know, whether it's some aspect of your connection to the Internet or or. Uh, some way that you communicate with somebody, you know, install signal or like, uh, uh, enable, uh, encryption on your hard drive when, when, when you turn it off, just do a little bit more to, to be thoughtful, um, about the way you interact with technology, because I think a lot of what these projects suffer from is lack of interest and, and lack of users because people don't have to think about these things. And so I think if they see more people using it, and there's there's more of a financial interest in developing out these solutions because there's a market for it. Um, we'll totally see people build more towards this future that that I think everybody who's really deeply involved in Bitcoin wants to see. If you could wave a magic wand and you know either create an app or otherwise change how Lightning currently works, what would that be, or what would you do? That's a good question. I would probably want to really extend the the sort of APIs that we take like that we can expect everyone to have access to on Lightning. So right now, the the only thing that you can be f- sure of for somebody running any form of Node is that they're Bolt spec compliant. So that's these ten rules that talk about like how nodes communicate to each other, you know how payment invoices are structured, that kind of stuff, like very core low level stuff. 
But as we solidify in those and we build up more, I would love to see more uh, certainty around things like how do I program my node to automatically make payments or automatically generate invoices to accept and, and just kind of expand on the things that we can build with Lightning by having everybody's node work with it. Because I, I just think that a lot of the cool futuristic use cases that we talk about with Lightning right now are really hard to push forward when everybody's running slightly different software and it doesn't quite work the same way. You know, I think I think we're just sort of stuck right now in the traditional payments that we have. And we're not really going to leverage a lot of Lightning if if we stick with the same style of like the same things you could do with credit card payments, the same things that you could do with, you know, PayPal. So so pushing pushing forward the the ways in which we can use Lightning without taking it into context of like, oh, I have Apple Pay on my phone. So Lightning should work the same way as that. Like in my opinion, we should be like throwing out uh, the playbook of of how payments are done and starting to think from scratch like what would you want in this super futuristic ideal payment system. Do you want to maybe flesh that out a little bit? Like, do you have any uh, UX ideas you want to cook up for us here? Yeah. Um, I So again, this is kind of why I struggle with the mobile app thing is because I feel like, you know, w- with mobile, you're really locked down to what phones offer. So it's hard for me to expand on that. But like, for instance, I think it would be awesome if everybody's computer ran a little server that anybody could publicly ping it to uh, say like request a payment. And so I would have some program running on my computer that would know how to speak this language. It would have a little database built into it that I could enter like, oh, if it's like my kid, uh, accept any payment up to $10 a week, you know, for their allowance. And if it's this subscription service only accept up to like $7.99 a month, because that's what our agreed upon price was. And to really preserve this idea that people can ask without it being too problem problematic, because I think that a lot of the the dark patterns we see on the web with like these free articles that you scroll down, then they hit you with a payment, or these like free to play games that that kind of like milk you in uncomfortable ways to to pay come from like applications having a hard time getting you to pay. So by opening you up to making these smaller daily payments. Um, but to also like get people interested in the idea of programming their payments so that they're not totally bombarded all the time with the psychology of having to spend money that, you know, if I can set up a, a $10 a month fund budget where I'm just like willing to spend it on things that I actually care about that I don't, you know, clutch at my pearls every time somebody asks me to pay, you know, 10 cents for an article or something like that. Because I think when people talk about micropayments, they mostly fail from a psychological standpoint. And so by, you know, basically getting past that by saying, look, like, you know, a few pennies here, a few pennies there, like, isn't a big deal to me. We can open ourselves to getting more rich content that we're actually paying for. You know, I think I definitely seen that in myself at some point, you know, definitely the the move over of that psychology. I think a couple of years ago, I was uh, using yours.org. Unfortunately, um, uh, it's all good. I, I, you know, I, I have a love in my heart for anybody who tries to do something totally wacky. I know a lot of people hate on like Urbit and, and, you know, I, I just, I can't help but like these, these weird ideas that are bound to fail. But I mean, I, I, I really like the idea of, you know, I'm, I'm throwing down cash for, you know, good quality content. I am not sure if it, it ever got to that point on there, but the, the concept was great. And I'm a content producer, right? I'm, you know, doing that right now, apparently. One thing that I really wish that I had in Bitcoin land was the ability to have subscriptions done automated because I don't want to have some hacky thing going on. I don't want them to have to deal with some hacky thing because I feel like there is no good way to make that happen. I mean, even in, in, in fiat land, like I have to go sign up for Patreon and do all that. I don't want to sign up for Patreon. Do you think it's likely that we'll see the subscription thing being more likely in the short term? Um, I, I definitely know. I remember uh, Rusty uh, mentioning at the Lightning Conference about a bunch of different things coming. But I think if I remember, it, it was, was going to come at the famous 18-month time frame or something like pretty far away. But do you see, you know, anything along those lines coming the, sh- you know, shorter term? Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I love Rusty's proposal, but I, I do think that 
18 months is honestly optimistic given it's just a really big spec to swallow. He he had a lot of ideas for how invoices could be smarter and 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 I love all of them, but it's really hard to get, you know, all the node implementations to agree on it and spec it out. I mean, uh, probably what we'll see in the short term, I mean, I think uh, I've been a huge fan of L&D's macaroon system from the start. The idea is that you have these like little it's kind of like OAuth, like when you sign up for a website using like Facebook or Twitter, and they say like this website can read this data and maybe post as you sometimes. It's the same idea of giving this permission to access to people to access your node. And right now it's pretty naive. It only lets you do very like specific hard-coded things like use this endpoint for sending payments and stuff like that. But the idea of giving people permission to access uh, and I really hope we see that in in all forms of life. I mean, I think the thing that's really shitty about credit cards, about giving out your mailing address, your email address, your phone number is like your public key is your private key in those situations or like social security where you don't have a way of revoking some piece of information once you've given it away. And uh, I, I think right now, you know, Bitcoin and, and Lightning are, are still suffering from that a little bit, where like, if you wanted someone to spend money on your behalf, you would have to give them your private key. And by doing that, you give it all away. So I, I don't think that it would take a spec change to come up with a paradigm where I give someone permission to access to my Lightning node. Uh, and that permission to access comes with certain constraints and, you know, they can only exceed or they can't exceed those constraints. They they have to work within them. And you know, I, I, again, I would like to see that in all all aspects of the world. Like if I give out a website, my email address, I would like to have a little token that uniquely identifies them, and I can turn off that token at any point, and their emails won't come to me. You know, I, I feel like uh, one of the best things that Bitcoin has done is introduce uh, asynchronous encryption to the world, and and get people used to the idea that you can have this piece of information, you can keep it private, you can prove that you have it. You don't have to have the exact piece of information that allows you to make proofs. And, and so I, I think we could extend that to Lightning to where we're giving out these little tokens, these permissioned uh, access to, to our node because your node is you know, conceivably always online. If you're, you know, if you're a mobile wallet, you, you, you might run into some downtime, but there's no reason that people shouldn't be able to ping your node with with some credential that says, hey, we agreed that you'd pay this much. Like, can you do it? I think maybe one more question to kind of close us out. What do you see as being the uh, biggest roadblock for, you know, maybe the Lightning Network? Yeah, just the Lightning Network on its own. I mean, I, th I think we've got some scary shit lying in wait. You know, I don't think the network has really seen a sustained orchestrated attack on it in the same way that we've sometimes seen with Bitcoin, whether it be someone trying to control mining power or you know people attacking the peer-to-peer -peer network. Lightning has, for whatever weird reason, been able to kind of just do its own thing on the side. And you know, we, we had that CVE a few months ago where, where all the node implementations had to patch and, and that went largely unexploited. And, and we just really haven't seen a malicious actor come into the space and say, you know, how can I either steal everybody's money or, or, you know, destroy all their money? And so it'll be interesting to see what one of those looks like, because if you have a sufficiently large system, somebody's going to come to try to like stomp on your sandcastle. So I, I think probably for me, that's the, the one thing that keeps me up at night when I think about the Lightning Network is like, oh yeah, we haven't really seen what that looks like. Do people come back online? If you were to knock every node that's online right now, how many of them would come back online? You know, how many are just people who set it up once and uh, stop thinking about it? Or, you know, how many are people who would be driven away by one single failure in, in the system? We just don't know what that looks like. It's a very interesting concept. So the, the idea that maybe a lightning is too small for anyone to give a shit right now? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a blessing in disguise. I think lightning's in this weird space in crypto where you see all these projects that have like way more funding and interest than they actually have development where I see Lightning as having way more development than we've seen funding and interest. You know, it's crazy to me uh, how far it's come in the last two years and to still only be at, you know, roughly like 
4,000 nodes online at any given time when, you know, so many projects have way more funding, but but far fewer active transactions per day. How about we just jump to the end and you let all the listeners know how they can find you on the internets? Uh, yeah, that, that sounds good to me. Um, I, I occasionally post on Twitter, but I'm, I'm more of a receiver than a giver. So you can find me at Oh, God, I have to spell it out. At W-B-O-B-E-I-R-N-E. I don't know. I hope you have show notes or something. Nobody's going to remember. I will. I'm sure. <laughs> and then, you know, honestly, the, the way that you can flatter me the most is uh, show some interest in some of the open source projects I've got going on, whether that be Joule, WebLN, TipHub, uh, or any of the tutorials. All of my tutorials have, have GitHub repositories linked to them because, of course, all my tutorials are about code. So, you know, if you want to learn more about Lightning or if you want to become a developer or, you know, you you just want to know how Lightning works better, pop in there. You know, if you have any questions, like usually people get annoyed when you treat their GitHub issue queue like a QA and a section. But I love that, man. People come in there, ask questions. I love it. It's so good. So drop on by. Well, perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm always afraid of... uh pinging people too much when I'm doing things on GitHub. But anyway, uh, I, I really appreciate you joining me on the, uh, the podcast. Well, Chaz, it's been a pleasure, man. Um, I hope, I hope to tune in to many more, maybe make a second appearance years from now, once you've exhausted your expansive guest list. Well, Hey man, I hope we'll, we'll, we'll see you then, man. Take care. All right. Later. Boom. That was another electrifying episode of the podcast. What did you think? Did you take anything away from that episode? I definitely did, and I hope you did as well. At the beginning of the episode, I mentioned it costs $100 a month for me to run the podcast. Just to fix that for you, it costs 1.4 million sats a month to fund the podcast. So if you want to chip in Bitcoin or Bitcoin over Lightning, you can definitely do that at crowdfund.lightningjunkies.net. For now, let's look forward to the future, and I'll see you on the Lightning Network. <laughs>